towards the 51, where we read, What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. After the sermon, we'll voice our amen together by singing from hymn 26. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, that includes you, boys and girls, who are members of God's covenant and congregation, I'm sure that I'm not saying anything that you don't know when I say that we very regularly ask God to forgive our sins. That's a, that's a recurring theme in our prayers. And with this Lord's Day then, we're faced with the question, how much thought do we put into that? Because isn't it true that sometimes we end our prayers just with those words, all this we pray in the forgiveness of our sins, for Jesus' sake, amen. Or I've, maybe there's other phrases that, that, you've, that you use or hear. Um, sometimes it's almost as if it's tacked onto our prayer as a, as a last-minute thought. Do we really think through these words when we ask God to forgive our sins? Do we understand what we are praying and do we mean it? Because it's a lot harder to look somebody in the eye and say, would you forgive me? than it is to say these words with your eyes closed to a God that you cannot even see. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And it's important that we pray this prayer in honesty and sincerity. And that's what we're going to look at this afternoon. I've summarized the sermon, Ask Your Father in Heaven to Forgive Your Sins but ask him to do that with sincere confession. Ask him in sincere faith and ask him with a sincere heart. And when we we ask this petition of the Lord congregation, we are confessing that we are guilty children before our Father in heaven. With this petition, we are admitting our guilt. And we have to do it openly and honestly. That's how this prayer, this petition, begins, with a sincere confession of guilt. To ask for forgiveness, there there must be confession, confession of sin. And how do we get there? How do we come to that confession? Well, confession comes from a feeling of guilt. For a follower of Christ, feeling of guilt produces confession. And then you might ask, well, what do we need to feel feel guilty about? Well, in this petition, Jesus uses the word 
sins or debts, if you compare the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 with Matthew 6, for example. But in the explanation of the catechism, the catechism uses the word transgression. That's also a biblical word. It means to step over the line. It means you've gone too far. You've, you've, you've done precisely what you're not allowed to do. You could also use the word misdeed. A misdeed is a crime. It's an, it's an offense against the law. And that's what sins are. Sins are crimes and offenses against our Father in heaven. And that's no exaggeration. We are children of God. We are children of our Father. And we have received so much from him. He gives us so much fatherly care, and he's so full of compassion. He hears us when we cry for help. And when we're filled with sorrow, he gives us comfort and peace, and he calms our hearts when we're anxious. And yet, we keep on sinning every single day, don't we? There is no end to it. And we have to be honest, sins are not just mistakes, they're not an error in judgment. That's, that's the language you hear in the world, right? When, when somebody, a, a prominent person in the world, is confronted by the media by, for something that they've done, they say, well, I, I made an error in judgment. I made a mistake. But that's, that's, a, that's a weak excuse for a sin. Sins are misdeeds and transgressions. And we don't naturally want to admit that, do we? And there's another thing, we, we, prefer, we prefer to ask God for, to forgive us for the little sins, but how often do we, in our prayers, explain to him what we've really done? Are we ever ex- really explicit about that? And often we, we compare the good things that we've done to the bad things that we've done too. And we like to compare ourselves to others, because well, then our own sins don't look nearly as bad, right? I'm not, I'm not nearly as bad as all those criminals that are stuck behind bars. And we, can, we, can come, we, can, we can even come out smelling pretty good when we compare ourselves to, to fellow church members, like that, like that Pharisee who was so happy that he wasn't like that tax collector that was standing there in the temple praying too. Right? It's not so hard. It's not very hard to point to people in the church who don't seem to live the Christian life as well as we do. And all too easily we, get, we can get pretty particular about the faults of others. But when we describe our own sins, we're usually pretty vague. When I compare myself to someone else, I can make myself look pretty good. The congregation, the language and attitude of true faith never underestimates the size of your own sin. The believer knows that his or her sins are great. That's because when you pray this petition sincerely, you realize that the standard that you are being held up to is the standard of God's character. It is His holiness. That's the norm by which we measure goodness. And that standard tells us that there is no one who is good. Psalm 14, verse 3. That standard, Jesus echoed when he said, you must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And God doesn't grade on a curve either. God demands conformity. 
absolute conformity to his law. Uh, right? And, and we know from going through Genesis chapter 3 that it only takes one sin. One little misdeed, you could say. And then you already fall far short of the perfection that God demands. Because what is the sin? One misdeed, is, it's not just a bite from the apple. It's telling God, get out of my life, I'm going to do it my own way. And so when we pray this petition sincerely, we have to admit, as David writes in Psalm 51, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then again, we have to admit that our sins aren't just mistakes, but they are transgressions and offenses against God. But there's also something very beautiful about that, about praying that way. Because when you pray that way, brothers and sisters, that's when God hears your prayer because he knows that you know that your sins are great and that you are confessing them to him sincerely as the Lord Jesus Christ taught you to pray. Those are the kinds of prayers that God is pleased with. Furthermore, to pray this petition sincerely means that we're not just asking God to forgive some, but all of our transgressions means that we don't hide our sins, which is another thing that we're all really good at. When little children get get caught red-handed doing something, they will only admit what they have to admit and no more. But we're not any different as adults, are we? We're quick to blame our circumstances or, or the actions of others, Sometimes we blame our parents because we had a rough time being raised by our parents. We're good at making excuses. Congregation, our confession and the Bible doesn't allow us to make excuses. We not only commit sins, we are sinners. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our DNA. It's in our genetic makeup. It's, It's in our blood. And that's why our confession teaches us to confess the evil that still clings to us. And so as believers, we may know and confess that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am saved from all my sins. I am saved from the wrath of God. I am being and am renewed by the Holy Spirit. But there is still this sinfulness that clings to me. That sinfulness is going to be there until Christ returns or calls me home. And when you believe this, then you also realize the seriousness of the situation. Your sins, that's not just a minor slip-up. And you can never say, well, today wasn't so bad. Today was actually pretty good. That's not being honest, because your original sin still clings to you, and your original sin seeks to soothe your conscience and tell you that maybe today wasn't so bad. And so we must confess our sin and our sinfulness, our actual as well as original sin, honestly, without hiding that from the Lord. Because when we deliberately hide sins from him, we're claiming that we don't need his forgiveness. We must learn to pray like the tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's how David prayed too. You can read that prayer in Psalm 51. And you might wonder to yourself, like, how can this, the psalmist of Israel, 
this pious and God-fearing man who wrote so many psalms, how could, how could he fall into such terrible sin, abusing his authority, committing murder and adultery? How could such a faithful church member fall so hard? Well, is that really such a mystery? Because original sin was in his DNA too. Everyone has it in them to fall as hard as David did. And he admits it too. He doesn't say in the psalm, I made a mistake. No, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right from the very beginning, things were not right with me. From the day I was born, have mercy on me, O God, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That is the sincere prayer of one who trusts and believes in the Savior, the Redeemer. And note well that he also asked God to create in him a clean heart and to renew his spirit. Congregation, that's the language of faith. And that brings us to our second point, because the only way to pray this petition is to pray it in faith. Because how could you ever pray this petition? How could you ever bring your sins before God if you did not believe that he would answer your prayer? If we did not believe that God, for the sake of his son, forgives all our sins, we would never dare come before him with this petition, would we? And that's why it's so important that we cling to our Savior in faith, that we believe in the power of his blood to reconcile us to God, to cover our debts, and to pay for our sins. And we may believe this, congregation, we must believe this. Otherwise, why would Jesus teach us to pray this petition? He is the one who taught us to pray this. And that's, we should be so grateful for that, that he taught us to pray to our Father in heaven that we should not be afraid to pray this petition in all sincerity. Our Savior is telling us that your Father in heaven really wants to hear this from you. He does. Believe it. And when God grants you faith, He wants you to use that faith to respond to Him in this way. And when we come to the Father in sincere faith, we we must surely believe also that he sees us miserable sinners through the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. In Christ, he does not hold our debts against us because our debts were held against our Savior. The Father wants to hear our prayers for forgiveness, but he also loves to forgive. We have a compassionate God, and so we can pray like David against you, Lord. You only have I sinned. And like the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then we can do that in the full confidence that the Lord will forgive us. He will forgive. By faith, we may know and understand that Christ's sacrifice is completely sufficient to cover all of our sins. In faith, we plead on the basis of Christ's blood. And when we do that, congregation, we must also accept that forgiveness. Accept that his sacrifice is for you. 
Because you cannot say that you trust in the sacrifice of Christ and then really wonder, if does that really apply to me? Think of the words of Lord's Day 7. What is true faith? It is a sure knowledge of everything that God promises to you in the gospel. But also, the catechism students know that I try to drill this into them, a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God grants me forgiveness of sins, satisfaction, righteousness, all the merits of Jesus Christ. Not only to others, but also to me. And the Bible confirms this. In the letter of James, the Holy Spirit teaches us about this very thing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We have an awesome, forgiving God. And this God is our Father for the sake of Christ, His Son. And by faith in Him, He gives us all the righteousness of Jesus Christ, even though we don't deserve it. Even though my conscience still accuses me that I daily sin against Him, even though there is evil that still clings to me, He forgives me when I trust in Him. Every day again. And we may believe that without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, He imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, and he gives all of this to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished the work that Christ has accomplished for me. You see how important it is to memorize your catechism? Because then it becomes part of who you are. What an awesome and forgiving God we have. The God who created you from the dust of the earth, And even though that dust rebelled against him, he wants to forgive you. The God who is so holy, he cannot abide sin. Who destroyed the world with the flood because of sin. He he forgives your sins. The God who humbled Pharaoh. Who made made Nebuchadnezzar eat grass like, like a cow. This God wants to forgive your sins. He looks upon us in love and mercy through Jesus Christ. And this Christ who caused the lame to walk and the blind to see you, who walked on water and raised the dead, he forgives your sins. Brothers and sisters, it's difficult, isn't it, to fathom the depth of God's love for sinners, isn't it? The privilege of his grace and mercy. We who have been made of the dust of the earth the dust that rebelled against God. We are actually offered the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness for that rebellion by that very same God. Do we realize how awesome that is? Through faith in Christ, we, we are truly the wealthiest people on earth. And how then should we respond to this forgiving and loving Father? Our third point, with a sincere heart. And when we pray this petition, we must do that with a sincere heart and sincere confession, sincerity and faith toward God, but also an attitude of sincerity toward our neighbor. 
I mentioned this already earlier in the sermon, that the danger is very great that we think better of ourselves than we think of others. But the Bible teaches us to love our neighbor, yes, even to pray for our enemies. Luke chapter 6, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, even pray for those who abuse you, the ones who strike you on the cheek, offer the other also. Wow, that goes against the grain too, doesn't it? We would much rather retaliate. That's our instinct, isn't it? But Jesus insists, since the Most High is kind to those who are ungrateful and evil, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. And the consequences, what are the consequences? Well, he says, do not judge. Do not condemn. Do not look down your pious nose at everyone else around you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus' words are pretty clear. But those words are really hard to live by, aren't they? Your behavior and your attitude has to reflect God's behavior and attitude. God is compassionate and merciful even to the ungrateful and the wicked. And so you, Peter, James, and John, you need to do the same, he says. Jesus is instructing us to fight against that natural tendency that we have to think better of ourselves than of others. We all too easily whitewash our own sins and our own sinful habits, but we are all very serious critics of the sins of others. And if we live that way, brothers and sisters, then the church will not be a very great place for you. Because the only people that are in the church are sinners. Forgiven sinners yet, but sinners yet the same. And sometimes, sometimes we might even think, well, we're better off without them. Because there's so-and-so and, and that person, and this is what's happening in the church, and this is going on. And yes, again, that danger of of looking at the sins of others in black and white terms. But when we look at ourselves, we put on rose-colored glasses. If you think this way, if this is your attitude, you must ask yourself, have I really recognized who Christ is for me? Have I really recognized who Christ is in relation to my daily sins and also my original sin? Have I really recognized who Christ is in relation to my neighbor, my brother and sister in the church? And if you think that everyone else is likely a much greater sinner than you are, then you need to repent. Because if you see truly see what Christ has forgiven you, and if you truly recognize who Christ is for you, then you cannot be someone who is unwilling to forgive the neighbor. Because do you not know how much debt Christ has forgiven you? An insurmountable debt. Then how can you also not see that Christ also set your neighbor free? Jesus even told a parable about this, right? the parable of the man who went to his king with a, a debt that he couldn't pay. 
millions of dollars in today's terms. And the king said, I forgive you. And then he turns around and drags his brother to court for a measly hundred bucks. Well, brothers and sisters, in the church it ought not to be that way. Christ calls us to live together with a spirit of forgiveness and charity. And that's the only way to live together in love and fellowship. And that doesn't mean that we sweep sin under the carpet. That's not the meaning of forgiveness. That's not what God expects. God didn't sweep sin under the carpet either, did He? He dealt with it. He dealt with it on the cross. He dealt seriously with sin. But rather than leaving our sins unpunished, He punished them in Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel. But from this gospel, we also learn how to deal with one another. We look at one another in the light of what Christ has done for us. We see one another as people for whom Christ died, who have been washed with his blood. And then we don't ignore sin, not in our own life, first of all, but also in the lives of others. But then we have to, we have to this conf- petition teaches us to begin with ourselves. Sins must be confessed. And there must be evidence of Christian sorrow. But then there must also be forgiveness. Seven times a day. Seventy times, seven times. That's what the Lord demands us of, a, of us. And he's not asking too much. Just think of it this way. The grace that he gives to us in the miracle of forgiveness must display itself in our lives. The grace that he gives to us in the miracle of forgiveness must display itself in our lives. Also for the sake of those around us. God's grace must shine in us and through us. And we may not darken the light of God's grace by having an unforgiving spirit. The Lord wants to show the gospel to others through that forgiving spirit that he has implanted in his children. And the Lord warns us, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you don't want to forgive others, the Lord will not forgive you. If you have a harsh and unforgiving spirit, the Lord calls us to repentance. Or we could put it this way, how can you ask God to do for you what you are unwilling to do for someone else? And so this petition, this petition teaches us that the Lord requires great humility from each one of us. A willingness to look into the mirror of the law, to be honest and sincere, first of all with ourselves and before God. And yes, also before the neighbor. It must be a spirit that's in line with God's will. As the third petition already asks for, your will be done. And so forgiving others, an attitude, a willingness to forgive others becomes a very serious matter. Because we don't come before God as isolated individuals. This petition is also put in the plural. Forgive us. Our debts. So this petition must affect us 
not only as individuals, but affect us in our homes and in the church, in our workplace, at school, and in our community. It is something that God requires of us. And when we live this way, we may also confess with the words of Lord's Day 51 that we find the evidence of God's grace at work in us. God asks this of us, but he also provides us with the grace to do so through his Holy Spirit. After all, it is the Savior himself who taught us to pray this petition. Will he not then also provide us with what we need in order to live according to this prayer? The God who is able to pay off your debt is also able to soften your heart so that you can turn to him in sincerity. Sincerity of confession, sincerity of faith, and sincerely in relation to your neighbor. We may certainly trust him to do so, congregation, because his grace is much greater than all of our debts combined. Amen.